All right. Continue on in John. We're all the way into chapter 15. Uh, I think last time I was here, we was, I spoke on chapter 13, speaking when he, had the, when he washed the disciples' feet, and we began this storyline here of chapters 13 through 17, starting with the upper room discourse, and then obviously working through the final hours of Christ's life on earth. Uh, I just always continually find it interesting how many of these chapters are devoted to so few hours of his life. And then, of course, as we move into chapter 17, and he gives us his high priestly prayer, and then on to his ultimate sacrifice for us, um, it's, just, it's just powerful. But tonight we're going to be in 15 chapter, uh, excuse me, verses 12 through 17, uh, and I've, I've titled tonight's message, Are We Slaves or Friends? of Jesus. Are we slaves or friends of Jesus? Anybody want to just take a shot at it before we get into it anymore? Which one is it? Slaves? Friends? Slaves? Friends? Y'all all right. Friendly slaves. I think that's out of context. But we'll get into it a little bit more. So that's, so that's kind of going to be the storyline as we play through it. Last service, Pastor Ben obviously spoke on that when Jesus said that he was the true vine, and that was the last of the I am statements in the, in the Gospel of John that he led us through there, and he gave us obviously this picture of producing uh, spiritual fruit, producing good fruit, and, then we, and we do that when we, when we ultimately abide in him as the true vine. Um, and tonight we're going to kind of see this play off on the spiritual fruit as well. But as we pick up in verse 12, Jesus and his disciples, less Judas, just to kind of give you a picture here, are, are making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So when I first thought about that, I was like, oh, that's pretty neat, you know. But like I began to think about that in this day and time. Um, you know, walking, walking in, the, in the night in those days would have been different than us walking in the night here now, right? We've got street lights for the most part. When we're in civilized areas, we've got traffic lights and car lights and so forth. But you know, in those, in those times, whether it, there was, it was only natural light they dealt with, obviously it could have been a full moon and maybe it was just fine. I don't know, but you think about the idea of him walking with his disciples and just and sharing this, this intimate time with them and as they navigate their way through. And I think it just kind of sets up, at least for me in my mind, just to realize the, just the, the love, obviously, that Christ is showing to his faithful followers at this moment. Um, and so as we pick up here, in verse 12, he starts off like this. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So we see a continual emphasis there on love. And as we know, obviously, this whole section, but the overlying theme uh, going all the way back to chapter 13 with Christ and his disciples is, is one of love. I mean, he keeps bringing it up over and over again and emphasizing the idea of love. But what's, what's interesting here, we see it mentioned three times, twice in verse 12, once in verse 13, and we see it le- later in verse 17. But what I want us to do is kind of look at that a little bit deeper because one thing I've learned in studying Scripture, when you see the same word mentioned over and over again, it doesn't necessarily always mean that it's the exact same word uh, when we look at it in the Greek. And when we see here, there's two different, um, two different ways that love is used here. The first one, when he says that you love one another as I have loved you, that's, that's the verb tense 
of, of the word agapeo, uh, which is similar to what have you heard before, agape love. But agapeo is to love, to be full of goodwill, and to exhibit the same. So that's, that's the acting out of love. So he says that you would love one another, that I have loved you as an action. But then in verse 13 it says, greater love has no one than this. And that's, greater love is speaking to agape. So greater, agape being the noun, which specifically speaks to Christ, which is the unconditional love of Christ, a very deep love. So that's the noun form of it. That's the reality that Christ is love. And the love that he's about to exhibit here in the upcoming hours on the cross is one where someone will lay down his life for his friends. So that's the two different usages being done there. That I kind of just... just in case you didn't catch it, because at first it was a little hard for me to wrap my mind around. <clears throat> Think of the word glue. And I used this analogy at uh, men's meeting last week, because we were in a similar section in First John. But think of the word, the word itself, glue. I mean, if I had a bottle of glue here, that would be a noun. It's a thing. It's a bottle of glue. But if I was to take two things and spread this bottle of glue on there and put them together, I would be in the act of gluing or to glue. So that's the, that's the noun-verb comparison there where we see agape and agapeo. There's this idea that Christ is love, and because of Christ being love and because of what he's done in our life, we then can go out and, and do that same type of love to the people that are around us. So that's the picture that he's given there for us. So getting back to the text, he gives us a commandment here in this first part, um, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 12, it's, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So I got a question for you. How has Christ loved you? You could talk to me. How has Christ loved you? Unconditionally, died for us. Forgiven you of your sins. Paid your sin debt. Right, and we could continue on and on and we could possibly get into where people would begin to speak specifics of their life. But it's what it says there, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Well, that's exactly how Christ has loved you. But what I think is interesting is what the ultimate picture of love that's about to happen in the next, in the next day that has not happened yet that's leading up to Christ is alluding to that. And they don't even understand that yet or really even all the details of, the, of what this love actually looks like. But it's about to happen. It's about to take place. And then he kind of takes it up another notch in verse 13 because he says that he would lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And I know you ladies are looking there and it says his friends, but I want to, I want to make sure you understand that in the Greek, his translates to the word autos, which means he, she, they, or them. So you're all included in this laying down of your life thing. It's not just for the guys here tonight. So it says lay down his life for his friends, but it's also for you ladies as well. That he would lay down his life for his friends. First, first John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So how do we know love? Because Christ laid down his, his life for us. This is the kind of love that Christ had for us, therefore this is the kind of love we have for one another. And, most, and, and not most importantly, but in addition, this type of love that he's asking for, from us is, is evidence of our salvation, 
as believers, that we have the ability to act out this type of to act out this type of love, and ultimately that we would be able to produce the fruit in our lives because of abiding in Christ. But then look, then Jesus connects this commandment here um, to the very thing that he's going to be doing in the coming hours when we get to 14 and 15. And that very thing, remember he states here that would lay down his life for his friends. But then watch what he says here when we go to verse, when he goes to verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Third, it's interesting, when you look in verse 13, when he says that someone would lay down his life for his friends, it's kind of a, it's kind of a uh, general picture of friends, right? It just kind of says it out, out to kind of in a general thing. But look here in verse 14, he gets very specific, because he says, you are my friends. So before he talks about the idea of what, he, what someone should do for their friends, and now he brings it a little bit tighter, and he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. So that takes us to our first point tonight, that you are more than a slave and not just a friend. You are more than a slave and not just a friend. So I want us to look here at this friend relationship, um, and then we'll kind of start, we'll look at the idea of servant, and we'll see actually more particularly the slave relationship. But let's put what Jesus said in the context into our earthly relationship. So this is some ad-libbing for you. Remember, he said, you are my friends if you do what I command, right? So essentially here Jesus is saying, you can be my friend. Um, I want to invite you to be my friend, but there's one condition. In order to be my friend, you have to do everything I ask you to do, right? Is that not essentially what's being said there? So in our natural uh, relationships of friends, who of you have friends like that? Somebody in the back does. Right? So it's, you know, when you look at it in that context, if, we would, if I was to walk up to one of you and say, look, I'm, I'd love to be your friend, but listen, this is what you've got to do. Here's line, is one, two, three, four, five, six. And if you do those things and prove it out, then I'll be your friend. Right? It's not how we, that's not how we view it, correct? But that is essentially what's being said here. So let's, we go, let's, let's look at it a little bit deeper. Let's look at the idea of actually friend itself. So just in definition, one attached to another by affection or esteem. You know, so, you know, how many times do we say over and over again in our culture today how uh, loosely the term friend is used, right? You know, obviously the social media implication. And just in general, when you say, yeah, that's a friend of mine, and really it's like, well, when's the last time you talked to him? Ah, you know, at high school, right? You know, okay, like, those are not friends, people. Right? I mean, I understand it's the right thing to say and the nice thing to say, but in reality, that's not a friend. I mean, are you attached to them with affection or esteem in that situation? And I know what we're trying to say, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a, a you know, downer on you on it, but it would probably be more appropriately considered an acquaintance in that scenario, right? But Jesus here specifically talks about being a friend. And in Greek, we, we get it from the word philos or phile, which also we even hear about phileo love. So that's the idea of just this a, a deep affection, a connection to one another. So, that's what, so he's calling them their friend. And then in verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants. Okay, so what, is, what does that mean for us? And we're going to talk about this a little bit more, a little bit later when I get past this friend section. But no longer are we a servant, and now we're a friend. So we're going to begin to kind of unwrap this a little bit and kind of take a look at it. 
Because being a friend of Jesus does not nullify the fact that we're still a slave of Christ. So I think we read that and, we, and the idea is we think we, we get rid of one and we take on another. Uh, but when you begin to look at the, the depth of what's here, it's actually not quite the same. It'd be kind of like what you said earlier, a friendly slave, but more of the lines of a slave friend would probably be more appropriate. So Jesus has taken the relationship to another level is really what he's doing here. So for, and because he, he says, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So all that I've, so I've called you my friend. I no longer call you a servant for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. The all that he's speaking there when it, all that he, he's made known is going to be the reality of salvation in Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in their lives. Now, obviously, it's still playing out, remember? I mean, this is leading up to this time. But full knowledge of Christ and of knowing God is the full knowledge of salvation and the, and the, re, the restoration of our relationship with God once again. But once Christ did a completed work at the cross, right? That was it. I mean, that was the revelation that we experienced, and that is the all that he's showing here. And the finished work of the cross is all the knowledge as believers, that we need to have. That is the gospel message being played out. The next step in the gospel part of that is what? When we express belief in that takes place. But the fulfillment of the gospel has taken place in Christ's finished work. So we come to this conclusion that Jesus chose his slaves to be his friends. So they were slaves that were chosen to be friends. But remember, Jesus is still Lord. And Lord is one who has ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate control over that certain situation. Look here in Romans 10, 9 through 10, just to help us see it again. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking and the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one's saying, Jesus is Lord, except what? In the Holy Spirit. And then Luke nine twenty three, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself. So when we look at that comparison there, what do we see? Do we see us just out being a side-by-side buddy with Jesus? Or do we see us subjecting ourselves to lordship in Christ? Right? So, th- so that's, 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 where we're, that's where we're moving along here. So what exactly, now we're going to move, transition a little bit from the friend here to the slave, and I w- we'll get back to the text. But he uses the terminology here, no longer do I call you servants. Well, servants translates in the Greek to doulos, which actually means a slave, um, more specifically than a servant. Um, although we use those kind of interchangeably, in our, um, in our culture, there's actually a pretty stark contrast between the two, between a servant and a slave. So when we break the word all the way down, it's actually, it means a slave. In those times in, in Roman culture, it was, you know, slavery, first of all, was a very common thing. Um, and as and maybe you do or you do not know, but, the, you know, Scripture does not condone slavery, nor does it condemn it. But what it does do, it speaks to how those relationships should play out in Christ, whether you are, depending on what side you're on. So slavery in that time was a common thing. You know, we look at it 
and, and today in 2018, um, and we see it obviously as vile, and obviously there are times that it has been, it has been atrocities. But in this culture, the idea of slavery um, and true servanthood was, was, a pretty, was a pretty normal thing. Um, the slave in that day, particularly one to a monarch or a, a wealthy person, um, would have fallen into one or two categories, a slave or this slave friend thing that we, we've seen played out here in text. Um, and the idea is this, obviously if they were a slave and they were under the lordship of this monarch, and let's just go for the sake of staying nice and warm and fuzzy, it was a good relationship, right? They treated him well. Um, they loved being underneath his lordship. They took care of his family. They took care of all of his needs. It was a good thing for him, okay? So there was just the, 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 the general slave about the, the palace, for example, doing the everyday chores, go and do this, go and do that, go and get the mail, uh, taking the trash to the road, all the basic things, right, that you do in a palace. But then there was the next level of the slave friend, and this would have been a slave that essentially had worked their way up through the ranks of, of doing all the faithful things, of getting the mail, taking out the trash, doing those things, and done it well to the place where they became to have, to have an access to, to the throne room of the king. Uh, in a lot of cases, they would have been the person, the last person that saw him before they went to bed and the first person that saw him when they woke up. Structure was a little different back then, particularly even with, the, with marriages and then you throw in the concubines and all the other things that, that they did in those days. And, you know, so there were roles to be played out. So this slave friend was a, was a very deep, intimate relationship to that person during that time. So as, he's, so as Jesus is playing this out, they would understand this concept. The 11 disciples would understand this idea of, of slavery and how that played out in their culture. But looking at the difference, because it, it does say servant in our text when we look at it in our language. But when you begin to look at the difference between the two, a slave, for example, is someone who is bought and owned. A slave was someone who had no personal rights, no legal standing, couldn't go to court, couldn't own property, no freedom, no autonomy. Right? That's a pretty good definition of a slave. But it was very different from being a servant. Because a servant is someone who does something. They serve. Whereas a slave is someone who is something. And that's the biggest difference there. A slave is something versus a servant is someone who does something. So, here, so look at it like this. When we, we, when we look at the word slave, typically, like I said, it has a negative connotation for us. And we begin to look at that in our culture. And we don't really like the idea of slave unless... We begin to think, you know, think about it as a Christian. I was a slave to sin, and I'm no longer. You know, we have, we're okay with kind of talking about it when it was speaking to things of our past or innate objects that are slaves. But when we begin to talk about ourselves, you know, we don't like that idea of, of being a slave to something. But if you talk about being a servant, that's a little bit different. Sometimes that has, that's a little more positive feel, right? You know, because you're out there, you're out there doing something. You're giving something back. You know, unless, you know, I mean, good people do acts of service. So that's the, this, this picture of a, of a servant. Now, don't, uh, don't misunderstand what I'm not saying here. Um, we are still called to serve, and we are still called particularly to serve one another. Scripture tells that over and over again. I'm, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm speaking specifically of us as a believer in our relationship to Jesus Christ. He's calling us friends 
but it does not nullify lordship in the position where we are as believers in Christ. We are still subject to him. So looking at it a little bit deeper, I want to go to verse 16, because I think it helps us better understand this picture. Um, Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So there's a couple different things I want us to look at here, but it brings us to point two, that you are selected for a specific purpose. You are selected for a specific purpose. Here Jesus is speaking to 11 of the true believers, and his words this night are the same for us as each of those men. Think about that. As he's having this conversation with the disciples, and he's speaking to them one-on-one, the same thing is true for us here, 2018, Living Word Church, that he chose us and he appointed us, as the text says here. We are owned by Jesus, and remember what a slave was someone that was bought, and we know that we were bought with a price from the, from the, market, from the slave market of sin. That's where we were purchased from. So in that case, we are owned by Jesus Christ. We are subject to him. He is our Lord. You know, serving Christ is not a volunteer position, right? Everybody loves the heart of a volunteer, correct? Who said that before? I'm the only person that's ever said that. I am? I don't believe y'all. I don't believe I'm going to pray for y'all, to be honest. But the idea is, as we walk in Christ, that's not a volunteer position. Some of us would like to think it is, because a volunteer position is one where we can step in and out of, right? But as we walk with Christ, it's, it, we, we are chosen and we're appointed. So look at, this, look at the text here, the first part. You did not choose me. That's pretty plain, but I chose you. I chose you. And, the, and that picture there of chose, I think Chuck's got it up here for us on the screen. I think, maybe not. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And what you look at here in the Greek, it comes from this word from eklegomai. Eklegomai. And it means to pick out, to choose to pick or choose out for oneself. So pretty basic, right? But that word also has a root of the word ecclesia, which is the called out ones, which is who we are as the church. Right? We are the called out ones because we've been, because we've been chosen. We're the called out ones. And then he goes a little bit further. He says, but he appointed you, which comes from the Greek word tithemi, which is to set or to put or to place. So he called us out, he, he chose us, and then he sets us into place. So I was thinking about this in our natural, think about when you're picking a team for sports, backyard, you know, outside, just a pickup game of some sort. You get, you, you get two people and they start picking everybody, so they, they pick their teams, they get them separated, and then after that, they just walk away. And they just go start playing. But but you don't know what position you're in because you're still just standing in a line. So what do they do normally when you pick a team? You pick a team, and you say, okay, you're going to play in the low post. You're going to play in the wing. You're going to play center. I'm the best on the team, so I'm going to bring the ball down. And then the game commences. But if you didn't do that, it just would be absolute chaos. What we see in the kingdom, not only does he cho- choose us, 
but he appoints us and he places us into a very specific place for what? For his name to be exalted, for his gospel ultimately to be advanced. And then because the next part of the text says that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So he chose us and he appointed us so that we can go and bear fruit, not because he has... um, not because we've just been elevated to this position of one of a friend, but this picture of him of being a friend of God is one that can move into a position of being of closeness with him so that he can put us in place to do the work of his kingdom and put us in, put us in the best spot. Because he chose and appointed us to do so, the fruit that comes in our life is this, one, the sharing of the gospel. The sharing of the gospel. I love what we're going to be doing. Ben, ben mentioned it, where we're going to be having a... Um, apparatus of sorts in the foyer, for lack of a better word, but it's going to be obviously a way for us to do just that. Each time that you share the gospel with someone else, um, each time that you exalt Christ in that relationship you have, you'll be able to have the opportunity to write down that person's name on a ping pong ball and set it into this thing, and it's going to be a visual picture for us at Living Word Church of the gospel going forth, that when we leave the doors of this place that we do that, that the gospel goes out with us. Godly attitudes. Anybody got that all figured out? The whole godly attitude thing? Right. But that's, that's fruit in our lives when we do see that. That's evidence of our salvation when that takes place. Righteous behavior. Just general praise of, of Christ in everything that we do. Right, Miss Bessie? That's right. Anybody know Miss Bessie? She does this one very well. Always bring in praise. And then leading others to faith in Jesus Christ. That we're out there doing this on a day. This is the fruit that we bear in Christ. And it all has an eternal impact because it says that fruit, that fruit shall remain, which means it will abide. It abides. When we abide in Christ and he abides in us, the fruit that we produce abides and it remains and it's fruitful and it has lasting, lasting effect. It would have been easy for his disciples, this idea of becoming, becoming friends, to get puffed up. You know, in my opinion, the way I'm thinking about it and kind of think that they have some other privilege here um, of what they didn't have before because he says, I no longer call you servants. And the same thing could be true for us today, but I think the thing we've got to remember is the freedoms that we have in Christ, the ability to be friends of God, as Scripture tells us, um, is for one thing, so that we would exalt the name of Christ in everything that we do. Not so that we can say that we've reached some lofty position in Christ but so that because of who he is in us, that our life is reflective of, and the, and the fruit of our life is just as such. And then when we get into the last part of the verse here in verse 17, he kind of ties it back and brings it back to where we started in the beginning. But he says, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Remember the first part, he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes through this, goes through the text, and then he wraps it back up in 17. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And I was thinking about that there and this idea of the freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, I was reminded of Galatians 5.13, where it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another to serve one another, to love one another. And when we look at serve there in this scenario where it's talking about us specifically, um, 
it's a verb, and it's to do a service to one another. So we're, we're called to serve one another in that, and in that service we do love. But I was thinking about this idea of freedom, and I was talking with one of my boys about a month ago. Actually, it might have even been longer than that, and we were driving. And he says, Dad, he says, I just, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to tell if, like, um, you know, if, if I'm saved, basically was what he was trying to tell me. And he's confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and at, at, at the young age he is, he can articulate the gospel. So I have confidence of the work that God's done in his life. But as we begin to talk through it, and because he was struggling with some things at the time in school, behavior-wise, and I, and I was reminded of this verse, this idea of the freedom that we have in Christ, and that it, it's obviously an evidence of, what, of the work that God has done in our lives. But so many times the freedom that we experience because of who we are in Christ, what do we do right there? And we use it as an opportunity for the flesh. We begin to just relax. We begin to, um, it, it's a good place. When you, have, when, you, when you come to freedom in Christ, it's a, it's a very warm, it's very welcoming, it solves so many of the problems that you had before. And I'm not saying you don't have any, but in those moments, you can do one of two things. You can, you can lay down and bask in the freedom of Christ, or we can do as Scripture says that we would continue the fight. You know, what did Paul say? He fought the good fight, he finished the race, and he kept the faith. It's something that we do continually over and over again. And as I was having this conversation with him, I said, I said, this is where your focus needs to be when you're questioning this. Is the freedom that you have in Christ is where, is where do you shift it? Where do we shift it as believers? Where at Living Word Church do we shift the freedom that we have in Christ to serve in one another, to the act and to walking out of this love? You know, I mean, we see in this whole thing here this idea of love. From chapter 13, obviously the overlying text of Jesus Christ as a whole is love. And no greater love than when it would lay, lay down his life for a friend and it's just over and over again, and Ben's been speaking about it the last couple of weeks in this spirit-filled life, and this idea of the importance of, of love and graciousness. You know, it's so easy in our culture today to, to be one where we're always at something, we're always, we're always fighting against something, whether it be something political, something at work, and we find ourselves so many times just, unless you're different than me, that you just, it's just struggle of, of fighting against the, the world just constantly wanting to bring with you that's not gracious, that's not one of love. And so many times I think we do, we look at this idea of love and we kind of look at it as a form of weakness. But when in reality, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate level of strength as a believer when we can express love to one another. And as believers, our walks with Christ is just that, is one that should be marked with love, just as we see here, and we go, go back through the text here, we looked at this idea of whether we are slaves or friends. And we see that through this, not only, not only are we a friend of God, but we're also a slave of God. And then, not, and then he chose us and he appointed us for that so that we would go out and that we would bear fruit. And then in those things, we would love one another. So church, that's just my encouragement for you, that as you walk out of these doors tonight, as you think about this, that first of all, Christ would would speak to your heart and allow you to come to a place of just honesty uh, in your life itself. You know, you think back through your day and this idea of laying down your life for someone, the type of love that Christ has exhibited for us. And I know for me, any time that I've allowed, I've allowed the, God's word to work in my life and allow myself to be honest, I begin to see the error of my ways. 
And in that moment is when we become more conformed into the image of Christ. Because we begin to see that we are such a distance from him. But in him, we come right together. So that's my prayer for us tonight. And as we leave here, that his word will just continue to speak to our lives. And God, I do thank you God, for your word. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for your church, God, for the people that you have called and that you've chosen, God, that you've appointed. God, for a very specific thing, God, that, they, that we would go out and God, we would bear fruit. And God, that our fruit would remain. And not because of our good speech or our good ideas or our great relationships, but God, because of one thing, because of who you are in us, Father. That yes, we do call you friend, but God, let us never forget that you are Lord. God, in Jesus' mighty name, Father, thank you for this night. Amen.